Hello everybody, you're listening to KRU, UMKC's student radio station, and this is Quick Save, KRU's talk show about news in the gaming industry, and I'm your host, Brent Landreth. Uh, so I want to start off today by talking about some kind of stuff I've been doing recently in regards to video games, and kind of the big one is, at this point, the PlayStation Vita has just been blown wide open. The PlayStation Vita probably, uh, it's a very controversial console from Sony, and yeah, it's, I'm, I'm really interested to kind of like really talk about this, because Sony's, uh, Sony's a second handheld, yeah, first was the PlayStation Portable, it's so interesting, because hardware-wise, it's like, perfect, it's fantastic. It's this really solid, just solidly built machine. It's this nice handheld. I have the uh, the second iteration, the PlayStation uh, PlayStation Vita 2000. Yeah, yeah, 2000. The blue color it looks super nice. I, li- I like it a whole lot. And you know, like you have the PSP model 1000, which that whole thing is that uh, it was. Uh, what is the screen called? OLED. Yeah. Um, OLED screen, which, you know, very beautiful. Uh, and it's just an amazing-looking handheld. It was probably the best handheld graphically released um, before the Switch. Switch is probably the best graphic... Uh, the best, how would I put this, graphically impressive handheld console as of right now. But the Vita, very interesting. I remember buying a PlayStation Vita in... Did I, did I buy it in 2014? That almost doesn't make sense. I bought it in tw- 2012. Yeah, 2012, I want to say. I bought it specifically for the video game Persona 4 Golden. Really fantastic game. It's great. Uh, and I think overall it was a pretty good purchase. The PlayStation Vita, it started off really... Uh, I wouldn't. I don't want to say strong. It started off with a lot of support behind it. You know, people kind of uh, game developers wanting to support this game, and you know it was great. But then, kind of, it ended up falling by the wayside because of the Vita's various problems. I said I loved this thing hardware-wise. You know, I'm holding it in my hands right now. It is a uh, very nice touch screen. The touchpad is kind of weird on the back. I don't know too many games that used it. You know, uh, dual analog sticks, they feel good. Surprisingly, I'm at, I'm actually super surprised on how well that feels. And, you know, like the buttons, they're kind of small, but they really work. And the touch screen is super responsive. It's great. But there's just things holding this damn thing back, and it's really unfortunate that it's like that, you know? And so, uh, it's really unfortunate um, that it's kind of like that. Uh, Because the Vita has such promise as a console, it really does. And... So, the Vita, it's kind of the elephant in the room. What are the two, I guess, major problems with it? And, 
yeah, I would say it's probably the two major problems that the PlayStation Vita has. And those are... Uh, first off is... Well, the two problems are kind of a result of the PlayStation Portable. The PlayStation Portable uh, was a very popular handheld console. Uh, the console itself. Software, not so much. And that's because the PlayStation Portable was incredibly easy to hack. I'm talking like it's in, insanely easy. And to point to where it's like, hey, that's why people really liked... Uh, that's why people really liked the PlayStation Portable because of how easy it was to just kind of get in there. And a lot of people pirated games on it, you know, kind of... Sony lost good faith with developers on developing for their handheld because of that. And so the Vita has two big things that kind of were decisions around this to kind of prevent that. Um, the first one is, I think it's the lesser annoyance of the two, and it is how you handle content on everything, on how you... Uh, how you like handle putting content on this thing and kind of transferring stuff. And the way how it works is that uh, you have to download something called a content manager. And the, uh, the content manager is this Sony proprietary system thing, whatever. And it essentially means that you can't put videos, photos, or music onto your PlayStation Vita system directly. You have to set up specific directories on your computer that the program will read, and then you have to go on your Vita and select stuff there. This is so you can't place any, like, illicit files on there, right? And that was kind of one of the big ones. I remember being really confused by that and why I just can't, you know, throw photos on there got to go through this whole process and so there was that and what is probably the biggest problem that it has is that is with the memory card situation the playstation portable used something called a memory stick pro duo it's used in a lot of sony cameras kind of around that time 2004 2006 and i mean it's a pretty large memory card and people were able to first off people were able to make cheaper solutions so you didn't have to buy the sony memory cards and also it's super easy to make a micro sd card adapter for it because of how big it is like i can go online right now and buy one for like three dollars super easy my and micro sd cards fantastic very versatile memory option have it formatted the right way works perfectly and uh, what they did with the Vita is that Sony used a proprietary memory card that was very expensive with no third-party solutions. And by expensive, I mean a 64-gigabyte card running you around 100 to $120. And even then, that's the highest memory that it goes, and 64-gigabyte cards have a high failure rate. And it... It killed the Vita. You On the original Vita 1000, you couldn't save games unless you had a memory card. So you'd have to go out and buy one. The Vita 1000 and the PlayStation TV, luckily, they added internal memory. And it's just such a baffling business decision. 
I can tell you right now, the biggest problem with the Vita is its memory card situation because people can't reliably download games for it, you know? And that really does suck. That Because I know people that, you know, they have Vita, a lot of Vita digital games, and they just have to, um, they literally just have to, like, you know, delete and download other games in order to, in order to play their games. And it's unfortunate that it's like that, you know, the Vita kind of ended up not being very popular over here because of that. And if you're just joining us, uh, you're listening to UMKC's student radio, KRU, and this is Quick Save. And I'm your host, Brent Landreth, talking about the PlayStation Vita here. Same way, yeah, that's the whole rigmarole with the Vita, and it's been blown open at this point. The Vita has a pretty dedicated hacking community, and um, on 3.65 firmware is what it is called. Uh, I think we're up to 3.68 at the time of this. Um, it, that's the current one. 3.65 is easily hackable, and then if you have anything below 3.65, you like edit DNS settings on your Wi-Fi in order to update to specifically 3.65. I was surprised at how easy it is. Um, there is an app you can get on your computer called a QCMA, I want to say. QCMA sounds about right. And it is basically a much more open content manager. And then from that new content manager, it allows you to uh, use something called H-Encore, which is basically the Vita's hacking tool. Uh, so you use that, and you install H-Encore onto a directory, copy it over to your Vita, do that. If you're running 3.65, easily hacked, and it works fantastic. And so I've been kind of messing around with that. And some of the stuff you can do with Homebrew that, of course, isn't just piracy because kind of hacking your system can be used for way more than just pirating games, but that's what a lot of people end up using it for. Here at Quick Save, we do not condone piracy. And so uh, you can download an application called Vita Shell, which it's pretty standard at this point. And Vita Shell basically is a memory management tool. And the best thing about it is that you uh, can load it up and connect your Vita to your computer and just like, you know, you just you can explore the files themselves, transfer everything over manually. Works super well. It's great. And then kind of from there, you know, you can do things like custom themes. You can either go in and make one. They're kind of complicated. You can do that. Uh, there's some homebrew people ported another Metroid 2 remake, that Metroid 2 fan game that came out. God, I want to say it was 2016, 2017. No, yeah, 2016 was about right. You know, that's when that came out. And people have ported that. People have ported, like, other little games to it. Uh, you can back up your game cards, which this is kind of big for me. Back up your game cards to put them onto a memory card so you don't have to lug around all your cartridges. And what is probably, uh, you know, so like Vita Shell kind of mitigates that problem. Uh, that problem with, um, what, what was it? 
the content manager. It's so forgettable. I already freaking forgot it. And the content and, you know, that kind of goes around that problem. And one of the homebrew options that I'm looking into right now, I haven't done anything with it yet. I'm still waiting for it to come in the mail is uh, it is a thing called the SD to Vita adapter. It is a it is a little adapter. It's in the shape of a PlayStation Vita game cart and you plug a micro SD card in it kind of screw around with some of the files and stuff and I mean basically it tricks your Vita into thinking oh the memory card is right here and you can kind of go off that so I bought like a 200 gigabyte memory card and I am currently um, backing up a lot of my old games I have a bunch of PSP game backups and PS1 game backups that are all kind of ready for this uh, I've tossed emulators and stuff to make sure that it works and it, it seems pretty cool. Like, I'm going to be really excited to kind of play around with that a little bit more. Because, like, the Vita is such a cool console. It's very nice. I like it a whole lot. And, I don't know, maybe I'll be able to get a little bit more use out of it with this. So, who knows? And, uh, you know, with that, I think we're going to go ahead and take a break. And when we come back, I'll be talking about a couple more of the stuff that I've been playing. Stay tuned.
Hey, this is Quick Save here on UMKC Student Radio Station KRU. I'm your host, Brent Landreth. So uh, before the break, I was talking a little bit about the PlayStation Vita and how I've kind of been messing around with some of its stuff. And so uh, I want to talk about some of the other stuff I've been doing. And one of those is a game that came out fairly recently called Octopath Traveler. I talked a bit about this. It is the Square Enix-developed Nintendo Switch game, kind of harkening back to the classic era of Japanese role-playing games from, like, the Super Nintendo, etc. Being developed by the Bravely Default team. And I've put a few hours into it, haven't had as much time as I would have liked and let me tell you, it is fantastic. It's really interesting. So the whole idea with it, uh, with this game, is that you have eight protagonists who are these very well-defined characters, and they all have their own stories going on. So I select, uh, his name is Therion, I believe is how you pronounce his name, Therion, Therion. He is a thief. And uh, his story kind of starts off with him hearing about this big score at a mansion. He's like, I'm a, I'm a badass thief. I'm going to go do that. Goes to the mansion, and he gets tricked, basically. Uh, this family was looking for a really well, just capable thief in order to steal back some of their family heirlooms that were stolen from them. And to kind of coerce him into working with them and joining them, they place a band on him. And this band is a mark of a thief who has failed, and it's kind of like, uh, kind of like a thing of, how would you say it? Like a thing of shame, right? And so his pride isn't, you know, he's not gonna let his like, uh, his pride is not gonna let him live this down, and so he decides to help them to get the band removed, and he kind of starts off as on his own journey, and that's just one of the eight. And I haven't seen any of the other ones, though. Uh, Therion seems like a really cool character. I like him so far. He's very cool. So kind of pun intended. You know, very cool, level-headed. He's uh, very sharp and smart. Uh, not sharp enough to... Uh, he kind of let his overconfidence get the better of him here uh, whenever he got caught by the butler. And there's a bit of a backstory going on about... Why he works alone kind of looks like he had a partner in crime many years ago and they escaped from prison. Don't know exactly where that's going. So basically, you pick one of the eight characters. You can pick any of the eight to start off with. Uh, just as a note, though, whoever you pick, you are stuck with for your kind of main character, I guess. I mean, they're technically eight main characters. But you cannot uh, get him out of battle. I chose the thief because... Kind of an RPGs, uh, the thief class is very useful. Yeah, very useful indeed. And so, kind of going off from there, uh, I haven't run into any of the party members. I'm getting ready to run into, uh, her name is Hanat, Hanit. She is a hunter from like this like little village kind of to the east. And basically, I was looking some stuff about this, and how it works is that everyone has chapters of their own story. Sometimes stories interconnect. Uh, there's two characters I know for a fact watched uh, a a kind of video overview of this game, and 
the characters Ophelia and Primrose, they have like a story event together. So their stories kind of intertwine. And kind of coming out of some of the impressions of this game, looks like one of the bigger problems people have is that there's not as many party interactions as, as they would have liked. Uh, which is kind of unfortunate. There are some here and there, though, apparently. Um, the gameplay is fantastic. I absolutely adore the gameplay. It is turn-based combat, obviously. And every turn, you get something called a boost. You can use boost to either... Uh, you basically just use it to strengthen attacks, right? And so, and you can also and it will uh, let you attack multiple times. You can boost up to three times. So it's like, hey, you do a normal sword slash or use three boosts to do a times four. So we'll attack four times. And the whole reason why you want to do this is because P, uh, enemies have defense points. And if you knock down all their defense points, then you end up breaking them. And in breaking the enemy, they are disabled for one turn. So you kind of have to like figure out the enemy's weakness, get in there, break them in order to do a ton of damage and take them out super quick. It's really addictive. Uh, the encounter rate's a little high for my liking, but apparently there is a character ability later on that reduces the encounter rate. So that should be fine. Uh, it's, it's a modest difficulty right now. Uh, I'm not having too much of an issue with it. Haven't died yet. I'll have more to report on that game kind of as I continue it. And another game I've been playing, I've been wanting to replay Xenogears recently, the PlayStation 1 game. I've been doing that on my hacked Vita. And if you're just joining us, this is KRU, UMKC Student Radio Station, and you're listening to Quick Save, KRU's show about news in the gaming industry, and I'm your host, Brent Landreth. And so Xenogears on the PlayStation 1 is what I've been playing recently, and that game's just good. Uh, you know, this whole, like, kind of fantasy-esque mecha show game thing. And yeah, that I mean, that game is just utterly fantastic. I love every bit of it. I still love the story. The gameplay is really good. And I don't know, I might just kind of chip away at that over the next few weeks. Nothing too big kind of going on in terms of that. And so... Um, we're going to take another break, and then after that, we have some news stories to talk about, including a doozy involving writers for Guild Wars 2. We'll see you then.
Hey, welcome back to Quick Save, K-Roo's show about news in the gaming industry. I'm your host, Brent Landreth. Alright, so we have some news to get through here. And the biggest story, by far, that has kind of taken over... Uh, kind of taken over gaming news and kind of the discussion around games are the firings that occurred at ArenaNet. So for those who don't know, ArenaNet is the publisher of Guild Wars 2, a very popular game, a very popular MMORPG. Yes, MMORPG. ArenaNet's the publisher, and etc., and they recently fired two writers for a Twitter exchange. So let's kind of dive into it. One of the writers, uh, her name is Jessica Price. On Twitter, she had this kind of big Twitter thread about talking about the challenge for writing for a massive multiplayer online role-playing game. MMORPG, CRPG, whatever. Um, and that she says, I'm just going to go ahead and read verbatim some of these tweets so you kind of get a feel for this. In her thread, one of the tweets she said was, the dirty secret is I'm not sure if it's possible to make an MMORPG or CRPG character compelling because people have different ex expectations about what the character will be as opposed to pre-designed character in a single-player game. So a pretty typical problem with MMORPGs is the main character and kind of their personality. What kind of personality should they have? And someone who is... Doror? Der Warrior, D E R O I R. Um, he is a YouTuber and Twitch streamer who is an official kind of partner with ArenaNet. Like ArenaNet kind of sponsors him in a way uh, for him to make videos and stuff about Guild Wars Two. Um, he kind of chimes in with his own opinion here. He says, "Really interesting thread to read." However, allow me to disagree slightly. I don't believe the issue lies in MMORPG genre itself, as your wording seemingly suggests. I believe the issue lies in the constraints of living stories narrative design. 
And he has a little Twitter thread here about discussing how he thinks the kind of big solution to this is to offer something like uh, player choices, like little character choices within the story, so you can kind of shape their personality yourself. And so, yeah, you know, like, I think that is some pretty, uh, like, a, a pretty modest suggestion, like, it kind of does make a little bit of sense. Uh, however, Price's response to Duror, Duror, on the 4th of July, uh, she said, uh, thanks for telling me, thanks for trying to tell me what we do internally, my dude. So she then, uh, uh, quote tweeted, which is where you kind of take someone's tweet and attach it to your own tweet and kind of reply to it. She said, today in being a female game dev, allow me, a person who does not work with you, explain to you how to do your job. Minutes later, she added, like the next rando asshat who attempts to explain the concept of a branching dialogue to me, as if you know, having worked in a game narrative or a effing for an effing decade, I've never heard of it as being insta-blocked PSA. Uh, so this discussion kind of started to spread wider, and people waded in from all sides. Uh, Peter Fries, the other writer fired by ArenaNet, jumped in at this point. His tweet had been removed, but there is a cached or cached version. Unfortunately, it's see, it, that actually seems to be down. Uh, he was defending her, and uh, you know he responded to someone who who uh, complained that she was playing the gender card. And he said, here's a bit of insight that I legitimately hope he reflects on. She never asked for his feedback. These are our private social media accounts. Imagine you're an astronomer and you start sharing some things you've learned in the last few months since you began research project observing Saturn, only to have observation techniques explained to you by a layman. And, you know, later he added, today is a national holiday. It's our day off. After working hard for months on the most recent content release, if I'm being embarrassing and unprofessional, it's because I'm enjoying a beverage in the sun in my backyard, and this nonsense is being directed at someone I respect. Jessica is great at her job and deserves to be treated with respect. Was it just of what I was reacting to? Uh, Price offered one more comment kind of later that afternoon, stating, Since we've got a lot of hurt man feels today, let me make something clear. This is my feed. I'm not on the clock here. I'm not your emotional court scene just because I'm a dev. Don't expect me to pretend to like you here. Uh, Gerard, meanwhile, posted, In a world where discussions should be encouraged and not be belittled, yet the opposite becomes reality. I've apparently found myself in the midst of a war I never intended to partake in. Disappointed, that is all. Hashtag, I am a feminist. So all of this kind of happened, you know, one after another, and very shocking and kind of exchange, you know, kind of people waiting in from all sides talking about this. And then... um you know, like, we don't really know what happened behind the scenes, but uh, Mike O'Brien, one of the heads at ArenaNet, responded on July 5th, uh, where he decided to fire both Price and Fries uh, after this statement. Recently, two of our employees failed to uphold our standards of communicating with players. As a result, they're no longer a part of the company. 
now so this is very a very strange kind of set of events that happened and of course the whole thing is where do i stand on this like you know what are what are the sides saying so you have one side saying jessica price and uh peter fries was his name i believe let me just double check that yeah peter fries uh, Peter Fries and Jessica Price did nothing wrong. They were fired completely unfairly. The other side is no, they acted incredibly unprofessionally. They deserve to be fired. My opinion lies somewhere in the middle. Uh, so first off, I do think it is unfortunate. Uh, there are a lot of news outlets and people kind of in the games industry, games media industry, not like they're talking about Price, but they're not talking about Fries. Jessica Price was someone who worked with ArenaNet not very long and then you have peter fries who worked with him for 12 years and all of a sudden he's just fired a lot of them are kind of turning to jessica price even though it's it's even more ludicrous for uh peter fries to have been fired in the first place now we don't know the internal situation with this we do not know um, if any of these guys were put on like a social media warning, you know, we don't really know about this. And, uh, the reason why I want to bring that up, it kind of seems like a weird thing to bring up, but, um, one of the, it's mainly because, uh, Jessica Price, if you kind of comb through her Twitter, as people have done, they kind of find her being very aggressive towards people like not in a good way right so uh there was this one um where she was talking about how oh i did not like avengers infinity war thought it was bad and then uh some someone responded was like oh you know oh you know that sucks i i personally really liked it and then she's like i don't care and the guy's like wow you're being kind of hostile and then she proceeds to curse at him a whole bunch or there is this one after the death of a famous video game YouTuber and games critic John Bain, aka Total Biscuit, she said, uh, The kindest thing I can say is, I'm glad he's no longer around to keep doing harm. And a lot of people have been bringing this tweet up specifically as kind of as kind of like a way to kind of show how she acted on social media. Uh, this tweet was posted on May 25th, 2018, after Total Biscuit had died. And it is kind of unfortunate, in my opinion, that she would act like this. Uh, Total Biscuit, um, he died of stage 4 cancer. He had been battling it for the last, I want to say, like four years of his life. You know, kind of just trying to survive, and he ended up passing away. He left behind a wife and a child. And kind of, you know, he, he's a guy who I've, you know, I've seen interviews, I've watched his stuff before, watched him on social media. He's not, he's someone who, he he had kind of a sharp tongue towards people, but he wouldn't, he never would want to hurt anyone. And kind of seeing someone act like he was doing harm to others by being kind of, you know, snippy, I guess, or 
uh, a tad hard, I guess, like on language and opinions is uh, something that is very disappointing. I don't now. I don't know. Like I said, if she was put on some sort of social media uh, warning of any sort. But at the same time, though, you know, like, I don't think getting out there and saying they're not at fault, I think that's very dishonest and wrong. And if you're just joining us, this is Quick Save here on KRU, UMKC's show about news in the gaming industry. And it is very strange, really. Um, So... Kind of, kind of like looking at this. Um, one of the things that they kind of bring up, and then I see a lot of people bring up, is that when they're at home, they're not on the clock. Why should they be fired for something that they say at home? And I find this to be, while I do think it is true, at the same time, social media has made this very confusing. The reason why is because if you have a social media account, which you know, Jessica Price, uh, I mean, obviously does. She has, as of right now, like a little over 15,000 followers. Um, you know, and you openly advertise that you work for this game company, you know, like that she works for ArenaNet. And, you know, like, oh, she's a writer on Guild Wars 2. The thing is, is that, like, if you constantly, like, advertise and talk about that you work for this company on social media, just consider yourself to be on the clock 24-7. Because anyone can look at your tweets and think, oh, you are like, you know, like this, uh, this uh, social media post represents the company, you know, and so kind of, uh, and that that's the thing, though, is that just because she's off the clock doesn't mean that, you know, she can't be at fault here because she is representing that company. She you know, very clearly says, has like things like writer, game producer, uh, arena net narrative team, Guild Wars 2 stuff plastered all over her Twitter wall. She constantly talks about it. I mean, the thread itself, she was talking about writing for an MMO. And the thing is, is that consider yourself just to be on the clock, right? Because you are representing that company. Now, even if you can say something like, oh, my, the opinions expressed here don't reflect those of my employer, it still doesn't matter to people because people can look at that and be like, oh, wow, this person who's kind of being hostile towards someone works for this company. That's just how they feel about everybody. And now I'm not necessarily condoning Price's response here, but at the same time saying that she wasn't at fault is, I think, incredibly dishonest of the whole situation. Peter Fries, on the other hand, he was being very cordial and nice about all of this and he was fired suddenly which is completely ridiculous you know i'm of the opinion that um you know maybe you shouldn't act very hostile towards people on social media if you don't want it to look bad for the company that it seems like you are representing here but also at the same time, like the firing of these two employees is 
pretty much completely un- uncalled for and is, like I said, just completely ridiculous. Um, I don't know if this would set a bad precedent that now kind of people out there, uh, the fans of the games can like start messaging companies being like, your employee was very rude to me. I think you should fire them. Like I've seen a couple people do that. And you know, it's, it's a very messy situation. And I think a lot of this could be resolved if the higher ups at ArenaNet would just kind of come out and make a better statement, you know, be like, this is why exactly why they were fired, not just some vague, we want to support our community, please don't stop buying our game, you know, it kind of comes off like that. So that was kind of the big story this week. We're going to take another break. When we get back, we got a couple more news stuff to talk about.
Alright, hello everyone, welcome back to Quick Save. So, that last one was a little bit heavy, like, the whole uh, arena net firings, etc. It's probably, you know, not the... It's, it's not a very good situation, so we do have a couple of things here, a couple of lighter topics. And um, the first one, uh, Monster Hunter World is getting a wonderful uh, PC release on August 9th. And the specs don't seem to be that bad. Uh, the specs seem pretty simple to use. I mean, it's not that bad. They're going to be going on a different release schedule from the PlayStation version, obviously. Going to kind of slowly roll out the con same content that the PS4 version got. And so that's pretty great. Uh, I haven't played that game yet. Apparently, that game is super good. So good. More people get to play it. And so kind of next, uh, Warframe, the very popular space sci-fi shooter, is going to be getting a Nintendo Switch port. Which, okay, this is pretty cool. It's being done by Panic Button, the same guys that did Doom and Wolfenstein and Rocket League for the Switch. They've kind of become... I almost want to say wizards when it comes to switch porting. It's pretty incredible. And uh yeah, like uh, that's really good for people who own a switch who maybe want to play this. Um unlike something like Fortnite, you can't transfer anything over whatever console you play it on. And yeah, so that's pretty cool if you haven't played Warframe yet. Uh, Dark Stalker, not Dark Stalkers, Dark Siders Three, is looks to be coming out November twenty sixth, according to the leaked release date on the Microsoft Store. Uh, that's pretty cool, I guess. Dark Siders, I haven't really played it. I know Dark Siders One was kind of a Zelda clone. Yeah, as yeah, it was a Zelda clone. And the second game kind of leaned into more of like the loot aspect. It was a bit of a different game. Basically, those games you play as the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Each one, each game you play as a different horseman. Uh, Dark Side, Dark Siders, Dark yeah, Dark Siders two. You played as Death. I believe you played as War in the first one. And Dark Siders three, you play as Fury. That's not one of the four horsemen, unfortunately. Uh, it was. Because, let's see, you have War and Death, then there's Pestilence and Famine. I don't know, I think you probably could have made some sort of freaking weird gameplay thing out of Pestilence and Famine. That would have been fun, but, eh, unfortunately. Just, mm. oh well. Um, the Def Jam Twitter account uh, teased something. They're like, hey, what... You guys want a new Def Jam game? Uh, those, I don't know, those games are like beat-em-up games that are apparently really well-loved. So, uh, yeah, sure, alright. Def Jam, I haven't played them, I've listened to one of the songs, it's kind of weird. Uh, they, they seem to have a pretty passionate fan base behind them. Uh, Arby's for Anime Expo created a a full-size nightmare from Soul Calibur. Arby's has kind of gotten into this 
really, mm, how would I explain it? It's, Arby's, their social media manager or whatever, has done an f- absolutely fantastic job uh, because, you know, they make a bunch of art out of Arby's cartons and it looks kind of weird, but hey, that that's pretty cool that they did that. Totally go look that up. It's insane how much work went into that. Um, and so, uh, kind of another thing that reemerged was a fan game called Card Sagas Wars. Card Sagas Wars is a Mugen game. Now, um, if, okay, so Mugen, let me explain this for those who might not know. Mugen is essentially a fighting game engine. Uh, that you can, like, import, like, sprites and stuff, uh, and what's interesting about this game is that it uses completely custom sprites, it is a fighting game with various video game characters, you have, like, obvious stuff, like, Samus from Metroid, Link from Zelda, Master Chief from Halo, weird picks like Ivy from Soul Calibur and Cosmos from Xenosaga, and it looks really cool, the sprite work is absolutely beautiful, it's... This is a game that's been worked on, like, since 2007. It's really cool to see it kind of emerge. And uh, kind of coming off of that is an announcement recently that I can kind of talk about a bit. And that is a game called I, the, Som- the Somnium Files. Uh, I spelt A-I. Um... So this was announced at Anime Expo, and this is the next game coming from Japanese game creator Kotaro Uchikoshi, most probably best well known for games like 999 and Virtue's Last Reward, uh, the Zero Escape games, he kind of did some PC visual novels throughout the mid-2000s, and his writing style is something that people adore, myself included, I absolutely Love the stories that he's made so far. And I, the Summonum Files, you play as a guy named Date. He is a detective investigating a serial killer case where people are murdered and their left eyes are removed. It takes place in the near future. You have this cybernetic eye implanted into yourself. And it is... It's basically an AI, right? So the meaning of I... They kind of talked about this on the panel... AI, kind of at the beginning of the name, one, AI, artificial intelligence, you have an artificial intelligence within your eyeball, I as I as an eyeball, obviously, and I is also the Japanese word for love, so kind of like some weird, like, kind of meaning behind the name, and somnium is Latin for dreams, kind of why insomnia is kind of like the lack of sleep, in a way. That's a good way to think about it. So you're going to investigate crimes by diving into people's memories and kind of, you know, kind of diving into their dreams and kind of trying to get clues that way. It seems really interesting. There's not much info on it. Uh, It looks good, though. I'm excited for this kind of departure from uh, Uchikoshi's last couple games, which were all fairly similar. This seems incredibly different. So I'm looking forward to I, the, the Somnium files. 
This seems to be like it would be a pretty good game. And yeah, you know, like that, I'm just really excited for it, you know, because mm, I, I'm trying to explain this. I like Uchikoshi's games a whole lot, like a whole lot. And I'm, I'm just super excited to see something new that he's going to be doing. And it looks fantastic. I got the character designer from the last two Fire Emblem games. You know, it looks great and has looks seems to be, have a higher budget than uh, his last game, Zero Time Dilemma, which is good. That that game was something. It had a whole lot of animation issues. And I, I want to kind of end off today by talking a little bit about uh, it is the 20th anniversary of a PlayStation 1 game called Brave Fencer Musashi, a very interesting game where you play as Musashi, this legendary warrior who has to save the all-you-can-eat kingdom from the evil Thirst Quencher Empire. It is... It's an action RPG, and you can, like, steal powers from your enemies. It is a very quirky, cool little PlayStation 1 game that totally deserves more love than it gets. Check that out. Uh, is it on the PlayStation Store? I actually don't think it is. Unfortunately. Uh, it would be cool if it was. I'm trying to remember because I want to say it is on the PlayStation Store, but is it on the PlayStation Store in America? I can't remember. Uh, No, huh. I'm doing some quick research here. Hmm. No? I guess it wasn't, huh? Oh, well, that sucks. It's a really cool game, though. Totally recommend it. And, you know, I think with that, uh, that's a full episode of here at Quick Save. So, without further ado, guys, um, thank you all for watching or listening. Thank you all for watching with your ears. Thank you so much. And, tell you what, I will see you guys next time. See you then.